This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. We're live, we're ready. Go. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live from AMI headquarters in the center of it all. Holy moly. This the most scenic, unbelievable is the most amazing, sensational, dramatic in history. A neutral zone. It's Welcome to another edition of The Neutral Zone. I am your host, Brock Richardson, coming to you from Kitchener, Ontario, and coming to you from Toronto, Ontario, is the one and only Dave Recavina and Cuba Cam. How are you gentlemen doing? Cuba Cam, I, I love that. I, I just think that just sounds so cool. But you know what? Being in the studios, in the Toronto studios here, I don't know what was going on. Excuse me, before we came in, Cam, but uh, the bright lights are really shining bright today in in, in the studio. I mean, they didn't do this for us because we were going to be here, did they? I don't know. Maybe they wanted me to make me feel like I'm back in Cuba with all the sunlight that's in here. So maybe that's why. It's uh, to help out with your bright personalities. That, that's what. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. I, I, I see the consistency here now. Okay, we'll, I like we'll, that. I like that. I'll be I'll be here for the next hour, folks. Uh, <laughs> speaking of the next hour, we are not just a half an hour show this week. We are a one hour show. Uh, so we hope uh, that you stay tuned with us for that one hour. I had the opportunity today to go down to London and be a part of the Continental Cup, where they also had uh, blind and low vision curling that happened. So we're going to hear all about that. Um, in the next, you know, half an hour or so, and then we're going to get into some mainstream sports talk. So uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Gentlemen, have you ever tried curling of any kind? No, I never have, believe it or not. Oh, I played curling for, I'd say, a good 15 years. So, yeah, I love the game, love watching it on TV. Um, Especially on TV now, they certainly have made it a a TV event uh, you know, with uh, rules like the three or four rock rule, um, you know, things like that. And um, I think that's maybe where the TSN turning point came as well, uh, was from the curling, or at least I think that's where I remember it from. So, Yes, I believe you are correct that that is the um, origination of the uh, TSN turning point. It was, I'd never actually been to a um, live curling event until today, and my goodness, the effort that goes into that. I mean, they had their own scaffolding for lighting. Uh, you talk about it being bright in the studio, uh, Dave. It was certainly brighter there uh, with the lights for the hockey rink, of course, and then uh, the TV lights. So uh, great experience for sure. Where, uh, What venue is this event taking place at in London? It was uh, the sports complex in the... Uh, downtown district so where they often uh play the uh sledge hockey tournament it's it's that bigger uh sports complex I, yeah, the, the name western, of it is uh, the western the western sports fair, fair. Oh, western fair yeah. okay all right yeah. yeah i was wondering about that because i did see the commercials on tv advertising it and uh, i kind of had the sense that maybe this was the uh there this event was being held with the london knights play at uh, budweiser gardens 
No, the London Knights actually have a home game uh, tonight. Oh, do they? Uh, which I'm crazy enough to go back to London tonight. <laughs> and, uh, you just didn't stay this, there. Uh, with, no, no, I, I needed to come back and uh, do the show uh, from here. But, uh, yeah, I, it's their first game uh, since winning the junior, so I expect to quite the uh, pregame, uh, pregame ceremony, I hope. Because uh, that's the reason I have tickets. So, and with the, it being at the Western Sports Fairgrounds, um, I guess it was in the main uh, rink where um, the is it the Junior A team plays there, or is that where um, they had all of the uh, sheets of ice? Yeah, it was in the uh, main area there, and then okay. they had right. uh, three sheets of ice at play when I was there, plus the. Uh, low vision and blind curling was on sheet D, so okay, lots so. of action and full, full, um, full place as well. So, uh, on that note, we're going to take a break and then I will tee up two of the interviews and then we'll take another break and two more and then we'll talk uh, mainstream sports right after the break here on the Neutral Zone on AMI Audio and Voices for Ability. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone here on AMI Audio and Voices for Ability. I am your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Dave Recavina and Cam Jenkins. As I mentioned, in the first segment, I had the opportunity to go down to London to uh, view some visually impaired curling today. Uh, we're going to do two interviews in this segment. The first one is uh, Tim Percasa, who is the organizer and also athlete, and Terry Lynn Dietrich. Enjoy. We're here with... Uh the organizer of the uh, Continental Cup exhibition series that we just had here in London. And I'm here with Tim Procasa. How are you, Tim? I'm very well, thank you. So let's start by talking about, because I understand that you organized this event, but you also played. So let's discuss the organizing first. What did it take to put on such an event as this one? Well, it was just a matter of... uh get a hold of the right person and say, we want to come out and show what we can do. So I did, uh, there's a bunch of the committee here uh, are from the Highland Curling Club where we curl out of, so I contacted them, they contacted them, and we got in. <laughs> Your people talk to my people, sort of, yes. kind of uh, yes. thought process is what i Absolutely. I'm... So can you tell me about where you kind of got the idea of Let's do this. Like, where did this come from for you? Well, in uh, the last time the Ontario Provincial, men's Ontario Provincials, they were in Dorchester. We actually played there also. Um, We were part of the group that went out to help break in the ice before the curlers came in. So we did that. And before that, 2011... Uh, when I curled with the group from Kitchener, we came in and did a couple ends uh, during the, the briar. So so we've been thinking about this every time it comes up. Awesome. And it, it looked like it was a good time out there. Was it a success? Oh, absolutely. Uh, our, our buddy Gary, who's vision impaired, also has Parkinson today. Awesome. He was awesome today. It was great to see him curl that well. And uh, everyone had their moments and their other moments. And 
but it was it's always nice to get out on really curly ice yes it's uh and it's it's really good ice i mean it's done by you know professionals so you can see that it was uh, really good ice before we talk about your curling career per se can <laughs> we can we talk about um whether you're going to have any particular highlight from today highlights today yeah i think i just mentioned it uh with uh, gary playing so well that was my highlight very cool very cool so can you tell us about how you yourself got started in vision impaired curling uh see i lost my eyesight I've been vision impaired for 10 years, so that's how I got into it. I actually, uh, my younger sister knew uh, the ice maker in Kitchener where they had vision impaired curling, and that's where I started off. I curled with them for four years before we started our group here in 2012. And what is it that you just love about curling, but specifically vision impaired curling? Well, for our group, we are known to close every bar down. So that's what we like about it. That's we, the kind of sports I love. We, we go and we curl, we have fun, and then we have more fun talking about it afterwards. That's, that's the social part. What's, uh, what's the most challenging part about the curling game itself? Um. Right now, it's being able to see what the line of the rock is. That's why we have our guides out there to help us out. However, we're adjusting to that, and well, it's just fun. I just love going out and curl. I've curled for 47 years, so, you know, just want to get out there and have some exercise and be with a lot of people. We've, we've been discussing uh, here in our group of people about the light uh, that you see uh, <laughs> athletes use can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that came to be well uh, if you saw the tsn interview there with my brother dan who made the light so dan perhaps and my brother he he made the light a couple feet tall three inches wide lots of lights got a, a little measuring stick on it so you can lay it down go this is where the eight foot is at the other end and that and just measure it out. Makes the game go quicker for us. So that's, yeah, my brother's the uh, mega mind, so he thought about that, and he's still thinking about how he can make it better. Let's, <laughs> let's discuss some of the rule differences in vision-impaired curling. Are there any, and can you talk a little bit about the differences? Well, the rule differences is only... Uh, being able to use the light or tapping or whatever uh, for guiding uh, competitively. Um, that's all you can use. There's no help with the sweeping or calling a line and all that. Rec, rec leagues, the guides can help with the sweeping calls and the line and the weight. So not, not really that much differences. We just, just a little bit of adjustments here and there. When I when I was watching uh, today, you know, you, you you come in here and you're looking at the the uh, sheet uh, four or D in yeah. this case. You walk in and you think, 
I'm just watching another another curling game. Like other than the light, as you mentioned, you wouldn't know. I mean, people are just out there playing playing curling. Is that the intention? Like with being at this event, you you want to be inclusive into a big event like this? Yes, yes. Uh, we try to mimic the regular curling as much as we can. Um, I mean, like I say, just little tweaks here and that, uh, just for safety and everything. Yeah. Uh, other other than that, it's basically the same. All the rules are the same. Um, you know, five rock roll, the whole thing. So. Yeah, you would you would literally, like I said, you would literally not know the difference apart from uh, the light itself. Do you have a f- uh, a favorite curler that that you look up to in your in doing curling? <laughs> wow, there's so many. I mean, you got Cooey and all those guys. Like, there's so many great curlers out there, and uh, you know, I I can't pick one, but I would probably say it would be a leader a second. Yeah, that's fair. And for people who might want to get involved in uh, vision impaired curling. How can they go about doing that? Well, for the London group, they can contact myself at timperhosk at hotmail.com. Um, or they can call CNIB Sports. Um, Ryan Van Preet, I believe, is the person that's in charge of CNIB Sports. And he can help them find a place. Awesome. Tim, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. We greatly appreciate it and having us come out and do this as well. Well, thank you, Brock. Uh, appreciate uh, coming on and letting people know what we can, can do. Anytime. It was a great time for sure. That was uh, Tim Prohovska, who is the organizer of what we saw and is also in charge of London Vision Impaired Curling. If you uh, want to get a hold of him and you're interested in coming out and playing, He's your man. Next up, we have athlete Terry Lynn Dietrich. I'm sitting here with uh, curler Terry Lynn, who's part of the visually impaired curling that's happening at the Continental Cup, which we're going to be talking about all throughout the show today. Terry Lynn, thank you for joining us today. Hi, thank you. Can you start by telling us how you got involved with visually impaired curling? Uh, Yeah, I got involved about four years ago when I first moved to London. I moved to London from the country. Um, I just moved to the city to access more activities for the visually impaired to do. And when I moved here, I joined the local CCB chapter, and that's when I heard about the visually impaired curling. So I joined it, and I've stuck with it, and this is now my fourth year. Tell me about what it's like uh, participating here at the Continental Cup in mixed with, uh, you know, some some really high-profile athletes. It's really cool. Um, a little intimidating knowing all those pro athletes are out there, um, but it's it's really a really awesome experience to be here. Yeah, I would imagine. I was coming here, and I'm thinking, wow, this is a big place. And mm-hmm. so for you guys being out there, it's, uh, it's great. Yep. Um, what is the most rewarding part for you, uh, curling? Um, being on a team, um, yeah, just uh, getting out there, being part of a team really is the most rewarding. (laughs) 
Yeah, and what, what's, what's the most challenging for you then? Challenging? Um, so, uh, I guess the, the most challenging part was, I guess, when I first joined and learned the sport, just getting used to it. You don't realize, I think, how much skill there is actually to curling. Um, so that was maybe the challenge, is, was just getting used to how to curl as a visually impaired person too, how to adapt. For me, I use a light that they put about five feet in front of me to, to for I have a, a point of reference of where to throw the rock. And yeah, once I got all used to, used to that, and I would say that was probably the most challenging, really. And, and how long did it take you to get used to the things that were challenging? Um, it, probably the first whole year, I would say. Once once I d started the second year, I felt a lot more comfortable. I knew what I was doing. I knew how the score of the game worked and just all the things about it. <laughs> what was what was your favorite part about being out there today? Uh, just knowing that we were on a, at a professional tournament and just, yeah, seeing what it's like of how it all works in the professional curling world, really. <laughs> now, talking about the uh, professional curling world, do you have a curler that you look up to that might be here? Uh, I don't specifically, no. No, you just, you just kind of enjoy uh, playing the game, but not necessarily uh, watching it? That's right, yeah. So, what would you say goes into, uh, like, did you, did you train for today? Can you tell us a little bit about your training? Um, we, yeah, just, we've been practicing really since October and wow. just, uh, yeah, once, once to twice a week. Um, yeah. And they just, uh, they made sure we knew exactly where the guides would be putting our rock. And, uh, yeah, before we got here, we made sure we all knew who was on each team and who our guide was, who our coach was and, and all that. So there's no confusion, confusion. So we were all ready to go when we got here. Tell us a little bit about uh, the guide and how the guide helps you on the ice specifically. Uh, yep. So, um, our so the one guide um, we have a couple guides really that help us. One will be the one that holds the light in front of me, so I know where to aim. Um, and then he'll also sometimes with my vision, sometimes I see the light, and sometimes I can't always see the light. So he'll just tell me if I need to move the rock a little bit to my left or a little to the right. Um, and then basically, and then the other guides just help you when your turn's over to guide you down to the other end of the ice. And is there a, a time span where all of that must happen? Uh, not really, no. Not it's specifically. Just kind of, uh, it's just kind of a whenever, yeah. get the best shot. Yep, yep. Talk to me a little bit about communication in, uh, in curling in this aspect of the sport. How important is that? Uh, yeah, it's pretty important because um, we all yeah need to know whose whose turn it is, so we know when to get ready. Um, and then just when you know you're ready to throw the rock, it's really good that the guy guide communicates you know which way to turn, whether they want you to turn it clockwise, counterclockwise, um, whereabouts to aim. Um, and then there's usually also a guide at the end of the rink that when you get down there, they'll also communicate to you where all the rocks are in the house. So you have an idea of, of where all the rocks are, which is awesome. And then tell, tell me a little bit about your favorite part about the strategy of the, of the sport. Like, do you have a specific part that you really like? Um, 
not necessarily really um every shot I do is kind of different yeah <laughs> there's times when it's like oh you feel like you threw the rock perfect but then it ends up not where you want it to do want it to go but um but yeah I don't really have a specific strategy I guess yeah it's uh it's tough when you mm -hmm. uh have you know, I, I used to play sports as well, which mine was uh, an accurate accuracy sport as well. And mm -hmm. so sometimes when you release that ball and or the rock, yeah. you think, oh, yeah, this is going to go good. And then exactly. not so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there something from today that you will always remember moving forward? Um, just, I don't know, just the whole experience of being on the ice and... It was cool watching the opening ceremonies, how they did that, and yeah, just the whole experience of it, really. Tell me about the opening ceremonies. What was that like? It was just neat. They had awesome music, and the lights were flashing, and they announced our group that we were there, and then they also announced all the names of the professionals that were curling, and yeah, it was neat. It was short, but it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any other sports that you take part in, or is curling kind of the sport? I do curling, and I also do swimming, too, so... Yeah. Do you prefer one over the other, or do you kind of... Uh, not necessarily. I like them both. They're both different, so... Yeah. No, I like them. Very cool. Anything else you'd like to add before we uh, close off this interview? I don't think so. Thanks a lot for interviewing us, and yeah, no, we're, we're having a great time here at the Continental Cup. Awesome. Terry Lynn, thank you so much for joining me uh, this morning and doing this interview. You're welcome. That was Terry Lynn, who was participating in the visually impaired curling uh, tournament today here in London at the Continental Cup. After the break, we're going to continue with uh, more interviews here in London at the Continental Cup, which is mixed in with vision impaired curling. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone here on AMI Audio and Voices for Ability. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Cam Jenkins and David Ruckavina. As mentioned before the break, uh, we're going to continue with uh, two more interviews. The first one you're going to hear is Rosemary Bonner, who is an athlete who participated at this event. I'm here with uh, Rosemary Bonner, who had the opportunity uh, to participate here at the Continental Cup in the Vision Impaired Curling Exhibition Series. Rosemary, how are you? Fine, thank you. How are you? I'm well. First of all, can you tell me what it was like being out here today at the Continental Cup? It was fantastic. It was something that I would never expect it to be in. So it, it, uh, it exceeded your expectations. Can you tell us why? Yes, uh, definitely. Um, just being on professional ice, for one thing, is terrific. And uh, I was, our rice is right beside Rich... Uh, Rachel Holman, and she's like, I really like her as a curler, so. And where do you call home? London. London, awesome. And how did you get involved in vision-impaired curling? Um, I was talking to a friend of mine, Kelly McDonald, and he told me about um, the curling coming up, and he gave me uh, Tim's name, and that's how I got involved with it. And you've loved it ever since? I yeah, I've been doing it since I came to, get to London eight years. 
And so can you tell me a little bit about uh, what goes into uh, training for curling? Oh, we just, we don't really train because we do it for fun. We do it to have um, crowdability with our friends, uh, meet different people, new people. Um, so we go once a week or twice. It depends on if there's ice time. We go Wednesdays and Fridays. And we usually play pickup uh, curling games. Like, you know, okay, you go on this team, I'll go on that team. And we just play against each other. And we go to provincials at the, I mean, the, we go to uh, Ontario at the end of the year, at the end of the year, so. And so what is it about curling for you that is the most rewarding? Exercise. Because <laughs> I don't, especially in the winter, because I don't get out as much as I would like. So, and I'm a, I can also sweep, because so I have some sight I can sweep. So I get more of the exercise that way. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the sweeping and what, you know, muscle groups you might have to use to sweep? Oh, it's all upper body and your legs. Uh, you're going down the ice with, you know, and you're sweeping with your upper body. Um, we're lucky that we have coaches that will tell us if we need to sweep harder or if it's too fast. So, And yeah. it's a... It's a it's a long way to go from one end to the other, isn't it? It can be. <laughs> sometimes it seems faster, and sometimes it seems like, is this rock ever going to get there? So it, it all depends. And uh, what's then the most challenging part about the game? For me, it's I get too competitive, <laughs> so I have to bring that back a little bit. Competitive is, is can be good, and even when it's fun, yes. competitive, uh, you know, it brings out the, uh, the 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 sport spirit in people for sure. Yes. Um, you you spoke a little bit about being close to Rachel Holman. Mm-hmm. Is she the curler you look up to, or are there? I, I would say so. Yes, she's definitely one of the top that I. There's two that I I love to watch curl, um, you know. So. Um, but definitely, definitely her is one that I really am impressed by her curling. And and what what is it about her? Like, what is it that impresses you about her? Just the shots. I think the way that she conducts herself is amazing. Um, so, yeah. just I, I just I think that she's a very, very uh, talented curler. And will you be participating in the uh, vision-impaired championships in Ottawa this year? Uh, I might be. I might be a sweeper there. I'm not actually, we're not actually um, going to that. We weren't, but I might be helping out with sweeping. And what would that mean to you, uh, being able to be a part of that? Oh, I, I think that's terrific. That's just showing our talents and what blind people can actually do. That yeah. we're not just, you know, we just don't sit around. We participate in life. Yeah, the the thing is, and I think for me this is one of the biggest uh, misnomers in any Paris sport is people often think, oh, you're going to notice uh, a big difference. And I got here today and I was over by Sheet D and I thought, no, this just looks like curling to me. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, we have the exact same rules and the exact same as everybody else. It's just that we have a coach that says, okay, this is your line. And um, and in, in competitive curling, like we have competitive curling, that's what you'll be in on 
in Ottawa is the coaches can't even tell you the line. They just say, okay, and you've got to decide if you need to sweep. If you don't need to sweep, they don't tell us anything. It was totally up to the curlers. And what would you say to a listener that's listening to this right now who's thinking, maybe I should go try out curling, but maybe not. What would you say to push them over the edge? Oh, I'd say come out, have some fun. We have a lot of laughs. Um, and it's, it's a fun activity that you don't have to put a lot of money into. So it's, it's fun. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to do this interview. We really appreciate it. Thank you. That was Rosemary Bonner joining me to talk about her experience today at the Continental Cup. And last but not least is uh, Jim Lavond, who was a sighted guide during today's festivities. I'm sitting here with Jim Lalonde, who had the opportunity also to participate in the Continental Cup Vision Impaired Curling Exhibition Series. How are you? Very good, thanks. And so can you tell me, for you, what was that moment like today, coming and being here at the Continental Cup and being able to be a part of this event? Oh, it's just awesome, um, mostly just to help the vision-impaired curlers, because uh, I am a, a guide with the curlers, and I spend my time uh, guiding them, which uh, I do really enjoy doing. Uh, coming out with the Continental Cup, that's just awesome to be here. You know, Rachel Holman's down there and all the guys and girls, and it's like, wow. So you get to see all these people right beside you, and, and that's nice. And how did you become involved in curling? Uh... Tim Prohaska is a friend of mine, so he invited me out to, because I had some extra time to give these guys a, a helping hand. and So I just guide them, show them where to throw the rocks, tell them where to show the rocks, and uh, lead them in the right direction, hopefully. <laughs> can, you, can you give us a little bit of a um, crash course in what exactly your role is on the ice? Uh, I... I guide the curler, so I set them up into the hack, point them in the right direction, uh, make sure they got their feet lined up, their shoulders lined up, make sure they are uh, comfortable in the position they're in, and uh, then I'll either, depending on the capability of the the, the vision of the, the player, uh, if they're totally blind, I will either talk to them and keep talking to them repeatedly, or tap a stick on the ice so that they're able to uh, hear that and they aim towards that. You tell them which which turn to make in turn out turn, uh, and if it's going to be a guard or you know uh, draw weight or whatever, and uh, hopefully they throw the rock and end up uh, being where it's supposed to be. Um, if they can see a little bit, we have a light that we use, uh, and the a player will see the light and focus on the light and release the rock uh, towards the light. Okay, and can you, again, for the listener who might uh, just be tuning in to us, can you kind of describe the light? What does it visually look like? Uh, just a bar light uh, on a stick. Uh, the lights are red lights. Uh, one particular curler likes a white light, so... He is able to see the white light better than the red. Uh, and it's just on a post that we sit up in the ice and give them something to aim for. 
Now, if if all things are the same with one athlete, and when I, what I mean by that is if their vision's the same mm-hmm. and all things are equal, are there different tactics between one and another as a guide? Uh, depending on the player. So some of them just, uh, again, some of them use sticks, some of them squat down and throw from out of the hack, some of them walk a little bit farther out on their delivery, some of them stand in the hack and just push the rock. Uh, so there is all kinds of variations depending on the player himself. So, so how important is the relationship between the athlete and the guide? Uh, it's pretty important because uh, when we're in competitions, if we're in Ottawa playing there for the Nationals, uh, you have to be able to get along with the, the players and be able to express yourself exactly what you want them to do so they understand and uh, make the shots. What for you then is the most uh, cha- challenging part, let's say? Ooh. Hmm. Most challenging part. I there's nothing really challenging. It's it's just get out there, have fun, and enjoy doing what you're doing. Uh, and they and that projects towards the players themselves, and they end up having fun too. If they have make a bad shot, well, you, you cheer them on still, one way or the other. And is there a, a rewarding part uh, from today that that you'll take away? Just being out there, uh, having fun with the guys, then the girls. So that's fair. Yeah. And are are you going to be participating in Ottawa this year at the uh, championships? Uh, I'm not sure. We have a team going in just as of yet. Uh, I, I I'll have to talk to Tim about that. He organizes everything. I know he's going to Ottawa as a sweeper with uh, a team. Uh, and as far as I know, we don't have a team going in but I might go just for the companionship and the fellowship. And so if there's someone um, that's, you know, wanting to help out and be a guide, what would you tell them or people would be the qualities you need to be uh, an effective guide? Uh, Have patience. Don't, uh, you know, don't think these people can do exactly what you do and when they... You know, they've got so many things they're thinking about when they're throwing a rock, and you tell them to throw an intern or an outturn, sometimes it doesn't happen. So uh, they throw the opposite rock, and that just, uh, you know, you just got to laugh it off and, yeah, just be patient with them. Are you involved then in any other sport other than vision impaired curling? Uh, not with the vision impaired, no. Just, uh, well, Tim plays baseball with us on the baseball team, so, you know, we were there to support him as well. He's, he's actually a pitcher on the baseball team, so. <laughs> do, you have a, do you have a favorite curler that, you know, even as a guide that you look I, to? I don't have a favorite curler. I will cheer uh, for any good play, any good shot, same as all sports. I, I don't have any real favorites of anything. I just... I, I enjoy watching a good shot or a good play. A good shot's a good shot. A good play That's, is a good play. Exactly. Jim, uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. We really appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you down the line. Okay. Well, thank you very much. That was uh, Jim Levon. He's a guide uh, for the sport of vision-impaired curling, and he's been talking to, to us about his experience here today in London. 
Well, we thank everybody uh, who took the opportunity and the time to uh, sit down with me and do an interview. It was a great experience for me, and I really enjoyed it. So thank you to everybody who participated, and uh, maybe we'll have them on again uh, down the line. After the break, we're going to switch to uh, mainstream sports. We're going to talk a little World Juniors, a little NFL, and who knows what else we'll get up to here on this one-hour edition of the Neutral Zone. We got you covered till 5 p.m. Stay tuned. Welcome back to this special edition of the Neutral Zone. I'm your host, Rock Richardson, joined by Cam Jenkins and David Ruckavina once again. We thank all the vision-impaired curlers and the sighted guide who sat down and chatted with us. We greatly appreciate it. Well, gentlemen, it's time to talk uh, some sports, and let's start with the World Juniors. Now, there's lots of places I'd like to go with this, but I really want to start with the Sweden's 52-0 and streak in the round robin, which spans for like 13 years and still no gold medal for them. Uh, thoughts? I don't know if it's part of the Swedish makeup or not, and I hope I don't get into trouble for what I'm going to say, but you watch a, a game with Sweden, and I mean, it could be a pre-tournament game, and it could be a, well, I was, was going to say a gold medal game, but they haven't been in many of those as as, as we're talking. Oof. But uh, they always play on an even keel. They never, you'd never see any emotion out of them. And, you know, it just is, they're, they're always the same. And I just wonder, you know, if, if that doesn't work to their disadvantage when you get into a playoff game because, you know, there is a natural level of excitement there, emotion. And, you know, like we were talking off the break or, you know, during the break there, the Canada-Russia game, you know, the gold medal game. I mean, that was that was as raw emotion as you could get in that third period. And it's just for whatever reasons, the Swedes don't seem to be able to rise to that level. And... Like I say, with you know, I, I don't know. See, I'm gonna have to disagree with you there, uh, King Rakovina. I'd because... be shocked if you ever agreed with yeah. me. <laughs> and that's a good point as well. But you have to be even killed in order to be able to win because you don't want to get too high. Uh, you don't want to take the stupid penalties and kind of get too rambunctious when it comes to that. Type and, of thing. and and we've been and we in Canada have been guilty of that against the Russians. No, I, yeah, we disagree. Yeah. Maybe, and it but almost it's a, cost us points. again against uh, the Russians oh, yeah. when we had the yeah. you know three um, um, penalty kills in the first period against the Russians. So I think the Swe- Swedish team, um, you know, does very well in the. Um, uh, round robin part of this tournament, but they certainly do have to find the mixture to be able to uh, win the big games, uh, especially when it comes to the gold medal, because they're just not able to do it. But, you know, uh, we're going to talk NFL here in a, a minute or two. And we were talking before we were on air about how um, even killed um, the Buffalo or the non-Buffalo team was. I forget who Buffalo Houston. Bills were in Houston. And you were talking about uh, the experience that that person had um, going into it, and you mm-hmm. thought that that's why, and they were even killed. So, yeah, I, unfortunately, I just don't uh, agree with you on that, and I think you do need to be even keeled, um, but you also have to be able to, um, 
get in there, uh, get into the corners, get those pucks out and be able to have possession to be able to get it in front of that and score. Could it be um, the uh, teenager aspect of this? Like, is there a level of, uh, for lack of a better term, guys, is there a level of overconfidence when you're going undefeated in the round robin and, well, we're going to get the weak opponent in in the first game? Uh, then... I, I think that does play into it. Uh, what was interesting, I did hear in one of the earlier Canada games, uh, they were talking about when Russia skunked Canada very early on. I think it was, was it 6 nothing or 7 nothing. 6 nothing. yeah. Yeah. Uh, but apparently the Russians, uh, after the game, were really going off on Canada, saying what a pathetic group they were. And this uh, Lafreniere, even before he got hurt, he was nothing. They couldn't see how he was the number one pick, going to be the number one pick in the NHL draft. Apparently they were quite derogatory toward the Canadians. And I, I wonder if maybe they weren't a little too overconfident, uh, uh, you know, heading into that game. Well, much as I I was at the game in uh, 2011 when almost the reverse happened, uh, except Russia won, and I would argue that that when they when Canada was up three nothing, they came out in the third period and just kind of uh, tried to lull them to sleep, and it didn't work. So um, I think you gotta think basically that... take a look at what your team and. Uh, what got them there in the first place. So if it's the forecheck and they're uh, constantly on the team, um, you've got to keep doing that. You can't necessarily play a defensive game. But if your defensive game was what got you there and then you try to do an offensive game, like you got to stick to what got you through the first two periods in this particular case um, that you're speaking about, Brock. And I think that in the third period of that 2011 game, they stopped doing what they were good at. And that's why the Russian team was able to kind of um, get after them and win that game. Were you guys surprised uh, by the end result? Like, I don't know if I thought that Canada was going to be in the final two. I, I will admit, I, I, I watched, I'd say I, I went back and forth uh, last Sunday afternoon between the Minnesota-New Orleans game and uh, <laughs> and Canada-Russia. Uh, for that reason, I was curious myself uh, that, you know, Canada playing Russia and Russia demolishing Canada earlier in the round. But, uh, I, you know, I guess that'll probably lead into another point. But the sense I got was the Canadian team, I think at the start of the tournament, they really didn't know what they had, but they just steadily got better and picked up steam as as the tournament rolled along. And, you know, once again, uh, kudos to the Hunter brothers. Uh, these guys know talent. And I'm not surprised that Mark Hunter left the Leafs, but I am surprised that he hasn't signed with another NHL team. But maybe he's looking to be the top dog, uh, you know, in the organization. And, you know, those jobs don't come around every day. So that remains to be seen yet. But certainly between Dale Hunter and Mark Hunter, um, they're the best right now in junior hockey as far as I'm concerned. Jeff, I just want to ask you a specific question. The uh, World Juniors does this weird thing for Canada where they uh, rotate coaches. Do you think that's kind of a detriment to Canada? And Dave just spoke about Dale Hunter. Um, do you think they should keep with the same coach? It's a good point to bring up, but I, I, I kind of like the rotating coach. I don't know what it is about it, but I do kind of like it. Um, it sort of gives them a, a different mix, a different vibe throughout uh, each and every tournament. And, and like what Dave mentioned, having the Hunter brothers basically construct and coach this group, I don't think there's anybody 
who is more certified than that duo to coach a team like this. I mean, like you, like uh, Dave mentioned, Mark Hunter was with the Leafs front office and, and basically revamped the, the prospects within the Maple Leafs organization within a couple of years. And there's, you, you look at that Maple Leafs roster right now, and it's just littered with talent and, and guys that, that Mark Hunter himself literally brought into that organization with his scouting knowledge. And then, of course, you, you get you get Dale Hunter, who's been coaching London. I think he had a stint with Washington yes, he for did. like half yeah. a year. Then no, decided, it was a full year. Was it a full year? Yeah. yeah. And then decided to go back to uh, London, where he's been basically the king of the town for the past, I don't know, 15, 20 years, 20 years or so. Um, uh, so having those those types of guys run your organization for Team Canada has been good, but at the same time, uh, it, it's kind of nice to to have you know an, an up and coming coach or even like a veteran coach. Remember when they had Pat Quinn, uh, Dave Cameron? They've had a bunch of different coaches who have either um, maybe a little bit past their prime, but uh, still viable coaches. It, it's kind of nice just to see. Um, some new faces each and every year. You know, getting back to uh, Dale Hunter just for a second, I uh, I remember the year quite well when he coached Washington. And they struggled. I think they may have got to the second round of the playoffs. And I think back in the day, their nemesis was Pittsburgh. They, they couldn't get past the Penguins for whatever reason. And uh, anyway, shortly after they were eliminated, I think within a matter of a couple of days, Dale Hunter uh, resigned. Uh, as Capitals head coach. And then um, several days after that, I remember listening to an interview with him and the dearly departed uh, Bob McCowan. And um, basically in the interview, Hunter admitted that uh, he wanted to see what he wanted to experience coaching in the National Hockey League, but having done it for a year, been there, done that, he decided he was much more comfortable coaching at the junior hockey level, and he insisted he was under he was not under any pressure, uh, you know, uh, to leave the Capitals. They they would they in fact, if anything, he said the opposite was true. They they begged him to you know Stick they around, they were yeah. willing they were willing to redo his contract to keep him there, but uh, he said no. Nah. He says I, I I'm going to go back to what I'm most comfortable doing. I'm going to go back to London. And I can understand why he would want to go back to London. He's got uh, you, it all there. Exactly. He's got it all there. And with the NHL, I'm sure it's a lot harder to coach or get the... I think there would just be a lot more NHLers that would think that they know how to get the job done. Right. Yeah. And kind of a bit of pushback. Where in juniors, I'm sure a lot of them want to get to the show. And um, Hunter would have more, and I hate this word, but more control, being able to get them to do what sure. he wants them to do. So with, I can totally Dale. understand why. He's basically, like I said, the king of London, Ontario, which is probably the mecca of junior hockey, not only in Ontario, but you could argue within the entire country of Canada. Um, And uh, it's not like he was underqualified to coach the Washington Capitals. I think he had a pretty good uh, NHL career, too, playing over a thousand games. So it's not like he lacked experience from that either. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you guys. I think he's really found a place for in London. And uh, I hope I hope uh, we'll see him again at the uh, national junior level, uh, you know, sometime down the road. Having been in London as a partial uh, package holder, I can absolutely confirm that Dale Hunter can do no wrong in London. This team could literally be, um, you know, in last place. <laughs> And uh, that might be a stretch, but uh, you get my point. He can, he has all the autonomy, and uh, the fans and team always seems to back him year in and year out. Dave, we got about uh, three and a half minutes. I'm going to let you tell me which game you'd like to focus on in the NFL. 
uh, for the next three and a half minutes or so. Hmm, they're all good, but uh, I think the first one is is a, maybe the most intriguing matchup. I mean, they're all intriguing matchups. Don't get me wrong, but. If I had to choose one, I probably would take Minnesota and San Francisco uh, because you've got a real interesting matchup there. And the Vikings are well-suited to defend against the 49ers' strengths. Uh, the, the big question now is Kirk Cousins finally having gotten off the schneid last Sunday winning a playoff game. Uh, can he do it again uh, You know, in another, if you want to call it, hostile environment? Um, although I don't know if you'd say that about a 49er crowd. But uh, anyway, uh, those of you who've been down there know what I mean. Um, I also have to say the pass rush. Um, both these yeah. teams, I think they were tied for fifth in yeah. the league yes. in terms of sacks. And both Jimmy Garoppolo and, and Kirk Cousins aren't very good passers when it comes to being under pressure in the pockets. So I think it's yeah, going to be fun matching to watch pressure them. Yeah. Between, in the trenches there between the offensive line, defensive line, and oh, some linebackers. Oh, yes. Uh, the, the good news for the 49ers, they're getting healthy bodies back on defense. And, and the uh, opposite for uh, Minnesota. Yeah. Adam Thielen looks like he's going to be questionable yeah. uh, for Saturday. I think he had stitches put in his ankle or something. Yeah. So it doesn't yes. sound very good whenever yeah. you have a route, route runner like him having stitches in his ankle. Uh, not not really looking uh, too they'll, good. Uh, uh, they'll have that very well padded and taped, I'm sure, oh, in for time sure. for, uh, well, pretty much 24 hours from now. And also, I think the last game, too, Seattle and Green Bay, uh, the, the last game on Sunday, that's going to be a fun the, matchup. Two yeah. future Hall of Fame quarterbacks yes. going at it. If you remember the last time um, Russell Wilson was in Green Bay for a playoff game, he tossed five interceptions yeah. uh, and obviously lost the game. He's yep. never won in at Lambeau Field in his postseason career. And, uh, that's really un-Russell Wilson-like, but obviously completely different teams than they were uh, a couple of years back. But yeah, two future Hall of Famers going at it on Sunday night. What's interesting about that matchup, uh, before we close out here, um, both teams, to me, are the shakiest of all the uh, eight remaining teams left in the sense that the Seahawks have won a tremendous number of, of one-possession games and flip that around, uh, you know, take take one touchdown away and the Seahawks might be closer to the first first draft pick overall than playing for a Super Bowl. Green, Green Bay, I think, has to be the weakest 13-3 and team out there. How they got to, to that record... I guess it's a combination of things, breaks, uh, some solid play, especially, you know, their defense was probably the best it's been in the last several years. And I think they had an easier schedule as well. So, you know, we shall see all interesting matchups nonetheless. Saturday, it all gets going at 4 p.m. Eastern. And really, you can just stay tuned to your CTV network as they've got everything from now until the Super Bowl, which takes place on February 2nd. That is the end of... That is the end of our show for this week. I'd like to thank all of the people that helped out. Jeff Ryman, Sam Robinson, Andy Frank, Paula Deneen. Tune in next week because you never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you next week. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.